Good afternoon and welcome everybody to another online assembly. Um, if it's your first time here, it's great to have you along. Um, there should be a little follow button some at the top there. If you haven't done so before, please click that and follow us on Crowdcast and we can let you know what we're doing and when we go live and all those uh, kind of things. These are very relaxed and interactive sessions. You can ask a question, say hello, whatever you like in the chat room, which a lot of you are doing. So hello, everybody. Um, there's also a button on the right hand side. There's a kind of a question mark inside a little speech bubble. You can pop a question inside there. I'll keep an eye on those uh, and bring them up as we go along. Um, just to make sure the chat's working OK, can you just let us know where you're tuning in from? Um, so it'd be good to see where everyone's dialing in from today. I'm in Sheffield. It's kind of sunny, a bit of cloudy, but it's quite warm. Um, which is nice, so hopefully you've got good weather where you are. This is being recorded uh, and a replay will be available um, pretty much straight afterwards. Um, we'll pop a link to the, the event page on our website at the end where you can download slides, you can get the video, you can get CPD as well, all sorts of good stuff like that. Uh, and we've also started producing a podcast for each of our assemblies um, so you can download and listen to that as well. Crikey, all sorts of locations. The chat's definitely working, uh, I'm gonna say um scotland southwest southeast oh, good yeah lots, lots of different people there so um we've got a poll running so again on the right hand side of your screen there are a little kind of bar chart thing icon if you click in there and we've got a poll question which is have you recommended an annuity so far in 2023 if you could pop in there and just let us know um whether you have or not that'd be really good and we'll check the answers a bit later on and see what's going on in the world of annuities um a couple of events to mention um we were planning on doing our first kind of in-person mini assembly in the middle next week uh, in Warwick, but we're going to postpone that to later in the year. Um, if you've booked your spot already, then Max will be in touch with you very soon. And as soon as we've got a new date, we'll update the details on the website uh, and it will certainly feature in next week's uh, monthly newsletter as well. And you can still buy tickets for our big day out and big night in on the 13th and 14th of September. That's our big national get together uh, in uh, the Cotswolds. Uh, we'll pop a link in the chat room now. So um, go and grab your ticket and it'd be great to see you along uh, and meet everybody else. Right, on to today's events. Um, so we've had years of stability, or it feels like that, uh, in the retirement income planning world. Uh, but that changed abruptly on the 23rd of September last year um, when short-term Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng presented his mini budget. Um, and ever since then, we've had uncertainty about rising interest rates, anxieties about inflation, uh, and even worries over the stability of some pension funds themselves. Uh, and this has led to many power planners, including me, um, to rethink how clients can achieve the outcomes they want from their financial plans. And one consequence of all this, well, secure lifetime incomes become a thing again. It's kind of back in fashion. Annuities and, and their different sorts of versions, they are quite popular again. Um, and what's more, the whole demands of consumer duty means that more and more firms are kicking the tires of their centralised retirement propositions. And if you're not sure what they are, Go into our website and search for those. We've got lots of events on those you can watch the replays of uh, to look at their CRPs and test suitability um, or just think about setting one up for the first time. So in other words, it's all kicking off in the world of retirement income planning. Um, and in, we're a bit of the eye of the storm at the moment because it kind of feels like that. There's us power planners. So how do we make sense of all of this? What do we need to know? What should we be doing about it? Um, and how does an annuity work? Um, we're very mindful of the fact that um, a lot of power plans are quite young um, and annuities have been out of fashion for at least a decade. And so you may not actually have done much annuity work or any annuity work at all. So we're going to do a quick refresher on what they are. 
Um, and it's great. We've got some fantastic people that know all about this and can really help us understand what we need to think about and what we need to do. And that's our friends at Just, um, who are working with us on this series of three online assemblies. So today we're looking at what's an annuity, what's happening in the economy, what it all means for income stability and risk management. Next week, we're going to look at the practicalities and planning issues. So we'll look at how you can model with sophisticated software. Um, doesn't matter what you're using. We'll be looking at timeline, which is integrated with Just, and so how you can build secure income into forecasting. And the third session the week after next, we're going to look at three case studies and what consumer duty means to all of us. Oh, well, that's a lot, isn't it? So I'm really pleased that friend of the assembly, Carl, has come back to join us again. So Carl, if people don't know you, please introduce yourself. Uh, thank you very much, Richard. Yeah, so I'm Carl Stebbin. I'm sure I've met you, or um, you know, with the um, assemblies and stuff that we've done in the past. But uh, yeah, so I'm a retirement and later life specialist here at Just. Been with Just it's 14 years this month. I've um, been with the with the business, and over that time, I've worked on all areas of our product range. I started off in the equity release world. Um, you know, I've been in financial services since 1996 and did a lot of work with equity release prior to joining Just. Then I went over to the retirement income side. Then I was a BDM for the long-term care and I've been out and about presenting for the last five or six years um, with that. So lots of experience in, in the later life market. Thank you, Carl. And it's, it's great to have you along with us again. So looking at the poll, um, that's quite surprising, actually. So 47% have recommended an annuity so far this year, and 53% haven't recommended an annuity, and nobody's said what's an annuity. So that, that's a good start. I think we're, we're quite happy with that one. Um, but we are aware, as I said a few minutes ago, that not everyone's been that involved in annuities for a while. And we also know we've got a lot of new power planners or wannabe power planners that are joining us today. So we're just going to do a few minutes on kind of background to what an annuity is, just some basics. And if you've got any questions, then feel free to pop them in the chat room. So Carl, let's start off with, so what is an annuity? Well, it's an insurance backed product. In effect, um, you give a life company um, pension money, and then we in return will give the client a guaranteed income for life. And within that, it can be set up in certain ways, you know, so for spouses, benefit, death benefits, etc. cetera. Uh, and so whilst you're saying it's an income for life, potentially it can be an income for beyond the life expectancy of the primary applicant as well. Yeah, I, I like to look at it as it's kind of like a bet between the client and the life company in that um, the client is betting they're going to live longer than expected and the insurance company is betting they're not going to live that long. So <laughs> you know, who wins? You know, you don't have to wait and see. And most annuities are bought with money in people's pension funds. And until about the mid 90s, that's all you could do with your pension fund, unless you're in a SAS or something like that. You had to use the money to buy an annuity once you take it only tax free cash. And when Drawdown first came around back in the 90s, and it's changed quite a bit since then, that gave people a bit more freedom. But you can just buy an annuity with, with money outside of pension. That's called a purchased life annuity, which are essentially the same kind of thing. They're taxed a bit differently, uh, but you can buy it with, with other money as well. So, um, yeah, that, that's what it is. So how can the income be set up? What's the options that are out there? Uh, well, I suppose it really... <laughs> There are a myriad of options, which is great because it means that you can tailor this product to the client's retirement objectives. So certainly since pension freedoms, um, you know, things have changed. It's allowed us more flexibility within that. So it very much depends on what the client's looking to achieve. If you've got a single applicant, 
no beneficiaries or anything like that, looking primarily maximum income, then it's fine. You can have no bells or whistles. If you've got people that are wanting to maybe use it as part of their wealth cascade, you've got things like value protection. So that's a return of any unused funds back to the beneficiaries. And also, if we go into that a little bit deeper, you know, if we're talking about the taxation of the death benefits, um, one thing that many people have kind of forgotten over the years, because again, annuities haven't been, you know, front and center, the taxation on death benefits and annuities match exactly that of drawdown. So if the client dies before age 75, the return of funds is free of any tax liability and post 75 taxed at the receiving beneficiary's marginal rate. But then you can also include spouse's benefits. So if their spouse or partner has little or no pension provision themselves, you can continue with that. So it's from 0 to 100%. Um, guarantees. You can now have up to a 30-year guarantee period with just. So, you know, you're looking at possibly, you know, 120, 130% return of the initial um, fund used if you're looking at a 30-year guarantee period. So, again, it's... it's Whilst rate is important when you're looking at annuities, how it's actually built is equally as important to make sure that it matches what the client's wanting to achieve in retirement. Yeah, there's, there's lots of options, aren't there? And I, I often kind of describe it as like buying a car. You might walk into a showroom and get the base model, um, and then you can, you know, add in your power steering, your sunroof, whatever. So you, you can add in, you know, increasing income, guaranteed income, capital protection, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, so uh, I find as well. Is it called the Money Helper Service now? It's the old government's money advice service. Somebody will pop in the chat room what it's called now. It's changed its name so many times. But you can go on there. They've got a very good retirement income section. You can just model all sorts of different annuities in terms of adding benefits, taking benefits away, different purchase prices. It's a really good starting point when you're looking at the annuity options out there for somebody to get an idea um, around those. Yep, yep, sunroof. I love an annuity with my sunroof, please. Um, <laughs> I often see that some people get a little bit confused about the death benefits you've touched on already. So let's start with one. So you talk about a guaranteed period. How does that work? So I suppose nuts and bolts of it. If you have a client, so we'll keep it simple in this instance, have a uh, sole applicant. Mr. or Mrs. Smith, age 65, when they purchase it. Um, and they're looking at maybe ensuring that they get, you know, potential value for money from, from this annuity purchase. They might have one or two children that they want to um, have the money to go to in the event of their, their early death. Now, I think, as I said before, prior to pension freedoms, the maximum guarantee period that a annuity provider could offer was 10 years. Post-pension freedoms, let's say for just weekend up to a 30-year period now. So anything from, you know, sort of one to 30. And so, say, for, for instance, you know, this Mr. Smith started his policy aged 65. He had a 20-year guarantee on it, dies after five years. The income will be paid for that additional 15 years to his beneficiaries. And again, as this Mr. Smith was below age 75 when he passed away, that ongoing income would be paid um, without any tax liability. So even if the, the, the beneficiaries were taxpayers, um, it's almost like a 20% uplift on, on that income. And so they would have had the 20 years income. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like um, 
when you said the return of unused fund, it's almost like that. I was actually working on a case this morning where we built a 15 year guarantee into it. Um, and the purchase price was 85 and a bit thousand. And the total income gross they get back after 15 years was over 100,000 pounds. So the client's like really chuffed knowing that you know, if the worst case happens, then uh, you're going to get their money back, which is quite good. And then you've got the kind of dependents pension. Normally it's a spouse or partner's pension. So typically, you know, I'll buy an annuity of the 50% spouse's pension. Just explain quickly how, how that works. Uh, so, yeah, again, if, you, if you've got somebody, you know, cohabiting, married, partners, etc. Um, again, you can have up to 100% and anything in between. So it works really well if you have a couple where the second partner has little or no pension provision. So they're wanting to ensure that the money will last at least as long as the primary applicant does and beyond if, you know, say for instance, the spouse is five or six years younger than the primary applicant. And if they're female, on average, females live longer than, than, than men anyhow. So at least then that primary applicant will have the comfort of knowing that that income will be ongoing for as long as their spouse lives as well. Yeah, uh, I think there's a couple of times I've seen this where people have um, bought or been recommended like an annuity with a 50% spouse's pension. Uh, and the client thought that they get their income and the spouse would also get the 50% at the same time. Um, so watch out for that with the wording that you use. So that only kicks in you know, on, on After. the first die. Um, so just uh, be aware of that one. Um, I did pop a link into the chat room for the Money Helper Service, which is that quick annuity site I was talking about, um, which is worth a look at. And Emma seemed to know that I did have a vinyl roof for my very first car. Yes, that's how old I am. Um, and Andrew's <laughs> up the question. Um, it's, it's, he's asking about adjust in particular, but I guess you can answer it generically. Did, do you commute um, to a lump sum or pay as an ongoing income? I think that's talking about uh, probably dependents pensions. Yes, so um, dependents pension is ongoing income. Um, guarantees is ongoing income and value protection is that lump sum return of any unused sum and any unused funds yeah okay brilliant so okay thank you very guarantees much. Andy. And, yep so yep brilliant uh and the annuity markets come on a lot um in recent years just most people haven't heard about it because they just haven't been looking for it um so you can now get temporary annuities where you can buy a secure income for a fixed period of time investment linked annuities have been around for quite a while and they tended to be sort of with profits annuities um mm. or unit linked annuities where you could um have a, an assumed rate of return where your income would be pegged to that and if you got more than that the income went up if you got less than that the income went down kind of really superseded by drawdown a lot and and i haven't done one of those for years actually um but also we, we've got more innovation so we've talked about annuities a lot so far um just talk us very very quickly through what a secure lifetime income is which is what just um do okay so with this this has been available for about two two and a half years now um it's i suppose if, if you distill it down to its um sort of base contents it's a trusty investment plan within a sip so within this trustee investment plan, it's guaranteed for the life of the client. Um, there's encashment value, there's death benefits, et cetera, and it is platform based. The good news is just haven't launched a platform because I'm sure you, you're very happy with the ones that you've got and there's plenty out there. But what we've done with a fintech firm is we built some software which allows us to bolt it onto existing platforms. So currently it's available on Novia and 7IM. So if you use either one of those platforms, you can have access to um, the Secure Lifetime Income product. So in effect, this guaranteed income 
is linked with the SIP. So it's paid each month into the cash account. And then if the client wishes to take it, it then comes out and into their bank account, at which point where it's taxed. Now, the interesting thing is with this is if the client for some reason doesn't want to take the income, they can just leave it in the cash account and therefore it's not taxed. You, I suppose if you said, you know, maybe they, they got a small inheritance and they're saying, well, we'll spend the inheritance first rather than using um, the money from the drawdown and the secure lifetime income, the money in the cash account can be, um, I suppose, relinked back into, into the SIP account. So that SIP can be a growing asset rather than depleting asset. So I suppose fundamentally it's guaranteed income when you want it, but you can turn it on and off if you don't need it. Yeah, that, that's a great summary. So annuities have come on a lot, um, certainly since I started looking at them a long, long time ago. Uh, and we're going to go into more detail about what annuities can do these days in session two and session three. There's a green button down the bottom of the screen. You can book up for those um, if you want to, so you don't miss out on all that information. Um, Becky's asked, would you gamble on a long guarantee rather than a spouse's pension? And Andy's answered pretty well about um, guarantee can go to anybody, spouse's pension, only to the spouse. Um, my advice on that one is look at the variables, get some initial figures, run a cash flow forecast, can't get a good cash flow um, and see um, what the results look like. Um, Kaylee, yes, we'll pop a link to our event page at the end of the session so you can get links off to lots of resources on the Just website to talk about all those kind of things. Um, Rob's asked, are there any plans for Just to roll out secure lifetime income on other platforms? Yes, we are in discussion with other platforms. Um, all the information about who's and why's is embargoed, so I can't tell you who they are, but um, I'm sure you could probably guess who the usual suspects are. So watch this space. Hopefully, as the year progresses, we will be announcing um, hopefully some more collaboration and um, more platforms that we could, well, sorry, you can access um, the um, Secure Lifetime Income product on. Okay, brilliant. So the main reasons why people haven't been attracted to annuities or advisors and power brands haven't recommended them is basically because it's this concept of you give all your money to a greedy life company um, and you get a bit of money coming back again which is totally inflexible and the rates have been pretty low for a long time and if you drop down dead that's it money's gone uh, whereas drawdown has had this kind of ideal panacea about the fact you've got flexibility you know you can dial your income up or down Investments always go up, don't they? We've got low inflation. And if I die, my family can get the money, sometimes tax-free. It's great, isn't it? Um, so that's really sort of what's happened. But things have changed a bit now. So I've just got a couple of slides here, which I'm going to um, bring up on the screen, just to look at really what's happened in the last year um, and why things have changed a bit to, to be one of the factors why annuities are a bit more popular. So um, this is what's been happening, really, for over a decade or so. We've had... Um, Again, you can download these slides and get bigger versions of the charts I've got on here. But um, we've had steady growth in GDP, um, depending which politician you listen to. We're the best in the G7, we're the worst in the G7. I don't know, but it's going up, basically. You can see in that bottom left-hand corner chart there um, that the dip at the start is the 2008 financial crisis. But since then, it's been pretty much going up nicely. And then you've had low inflation. Um, so that's the chart in the center of the bottom there. You know, the Bank of England have still got the target of 2% a year for CPI. It's still there. Not laughing too much, um, but it is there. So we've had steady low inflation um, for a long time. And then we've had low interest rates as well. Again, you can see that sharp fall is after the, the financial crash in 2008. And they've been at, you know, historically record lows for well over a decade. Um, and people have just got used to that. You know, most people's memories really struggle to go beyond sort of five years, let alone 10 years. People have just got used to steady economic growth, 
low inflation, low interest rates. It's been really nice and comfortable and steady. Um, and what that's meant in, in the bond markets is that bond yields have gone down because the, the price of buying a bond has gone up because they've become more attractive. Uh, we've had quantitative easing going on. So there's been a massive flood of money coming in, buying up bonds all over the place. So the yields have gone down. So, so that chart up in the top right there shows you the 10-year UK gilt yield, which has been going one way quite rapidly um, for the last 10 years or so. So that does lead to a quite a benign, steady economic environment. Um, but then a few things happened. Um, and we've now got sort of a combination of events which created a bit of a perfect storm. Um, we've had Brexit and we've yet to see the Brexit dividend and this beautiful sunny uplands that we were promised happen. So Brexit's had quite a big impact. We've had COVID, which, which came out of nowhere and had a massive impact on, on everybody and everything pretty much. And we've got war going on in Europe now for the first time in a long time um, with Russia invading Ukraine and all the uncertainty that that's happening around the place. And then we've had supply chain issues. You know, the Evergreen uh, got stuck in the Suez Canal um, for quite a while and uh, everyone was complaining because they couldn't get their garden furniture or their map books or whatever because they were all stuck in the Suez Canal queue. So all those things came together to create a bit of a, a kind of a perfect event. And so it's got people thinking about, you know, should we be looking at other things apart from just sticking our money in drawdown? So drawdown has been very popular, uh, even more so since the pension freedoms came in. Was that 2015, wasn't it? I think that came yep. in, um, you know, with the low inflation, low interest rates and massive money supply going on. Now we've got inflation, which is driving up interest rates. Um, and the CPI figures came out again, was it yesterday or Tuesday? Um, although they came down a bit to 8.7%, the core inflation is still going up. So food and essentials is still going up. So there's worries around in inflation rates and interest rates. Bond values are falling. Um, so the yields are going to start to go up a bit. And quantitative easing has pretty much dried up and is unlikely to come back again because the printing presses have been turned off. So we've now got a situation where um, bond markets are correlated to equity markets. And, and Carl's got a better slide on this, which we'll show you a bit later on. Basically, we've been through a period where um, people thought that um, you know, bonds and equities were not correlated. And if you're not sure what correlation is, it, it's the way that things react to each other. So to give you a real world example, um, in the summer, there's often quite a demand for ice cream, um, but there's not so much demand for winter coats. So they're negatively correlated. When sales of ice creams go up, sales of winter coats go down. And likewise, in the winter, sales of winter coats go up and sales of ice creams go down. So they're negatively correlated. But if in the winter you looked at how winter coats and antifreeze was performing, they're positively correlated because they both go up in demand at the same time. Well, recently you've seen bonds and equities being negatively correlated. So they've been going the opposite way. So they're a nice hedge against each other. And the bonds were often part of a portfolio to provide that risk management, slow and steady, a bit boring, really. Uh, and if equities went down, bonds are quite stable. Um, that's not always been the way. Um, look back in history, and there's been quite a bit of positive correlation between the two. Um, and that's what's happening now. You know, bonds and equities are positively correlated. And that chart in, in the middle there, you can see the blue spike on the right hand side. That's what's happened to annuity rates. There's been a steady decline over the years. Um, but because you know, bond yields have got up again, that translates through to annuity rates. Annuity rates have become very popular. So there is now a search for alternatives. So where are we now? Um, so GDP, you'll see in the bottom left there, fell off a cliff uh, when COVID hit, started to recover, but nowhere near as fast as our main competitors. Inflation shot up and it's gone over 10% um, for the first time in, well, for as long as I can remember. 
interest rates have shot up and keep going up and bond yields are going up as well. And quantitative easing is just not there anymore um, to, to buy these bonds up. Um, and last year, you know, the average 60-40 portfolio, and there's a lot of people saying this is dead, but it's still a popular concept, went down by nearly 9%. So we've got this sort of perfect market storm going on uh, out there, uh, which has meant that annuity rates have been a beneficiary of this one. So um, let me bring up some slides uh, that Carl's going to talk about now that goes into a bit more detail. I'm also going to pop a new poll up uh, in a second, which if you could answer that one before the end of the session, it's asking, are you more convinced about annuities now um, than you were beforehand? So um, let's bring Carl's slides up. Um, and Carl can give us a bit more detail. Um, over to you, Carl. Thank you very much. So, yeah, we're going to touch on some of the things that Richard already, has already spoken about, but certainly um, hopefully some, some new sort of thoughts and ideas around the value of annuities and how they can actually um, support a client's retirement portfolio, you know, taking some of the pressure off. And so this is part of one of three. So this is a bit of a journey. And um, hopefully, you know, there's some interesting points that you'll take from it. So um, if we're looking at, I suppose, the retirement portfolio challenges, if we're going on to um, creating that sustainable retirement portfolio, because after all, Certainly when we're looking at the regulator, we've got the thematic review coming out later on this year, consumer duty, et cetera, et cetera. Um, retirement income is an area where the regulator has been spending an awful lot of time looking at, what, at what's happening in the market. You know, we've now had eight years since pension freedoms and you could say 2022 was the first real test of pension freedom since it's actually happened so a lot of work is being done by the regulator and then you know on the third one as Richard said we're going to be looking at you know sort of working examples of how we can build in guaranteed income to a client's portfolio so if we're looking at some of the learning objectives if we can get the slide up Thank you very much. So we're going to understand the impact of economic environment on retirement income portfolios, discuss the impact of markets on financial resilience and sustainability. So again, 2022 really brought to the fore about pound cost ravaging, etc. And then recognize the market developments in guaranteed income. So at Just, as we do, we speak to lots of advisory firms and over the last year, these seem to be the three key questions that clients are asking their advisor. How do I get that higher income given inflation? Uh, you know, you see in some of the press they're talking about having to hunker down and spend less. But actually, for lots of people in retirement, you know, if you're talking about um, utilities, Richard mentioned um, inflation. Food inflation is still running at about 19.1% currently. It's almost 20% for food inflation. And if you're looking at, uh, you know, retirees' basket of goods, if you're looking at CPI, it's probably going to be very, very different. There's probably not going to be too many flat screen TVs, et cetera, in there. It could just be, you know, the heating and eating type affairs. So higher income, but how can I have that sustainability, that financial resilience? as well and for some people it's all about legacy provision as well you know that wealth cascade so if i take a higher income is that going to affect my sustainability and will it affect that legacy benefit that i wish to give my children or grandchildren going forward so we're going to look at seeing how we can do that um, i mentioned pound cost ravaging and this is from the telegraph last year but i think it's still relevant 
retirees lose years of pension income as inflation and markets collide. So just at the point when they're having to take more income because cost of living is going up, potentially their portfolio is going down. You know, the good news, the markets did rally a bit last year. I think at one point, average um, portfolios were down, you know, certainly over 10%. It was double digits. So having to sell more units to generate the same or higher levels of income. So when we're, I suppose, looking at cash flow modeling, what could have been planned to last till they're 95 or 100 could start to wind back in years because um, portfolios gone down in value and they're having to take a higher level of income and again you know we have retirees also have had the issue that there were lifestyle strategies in in often workplace pension funds were designed to move their money into bonds and low risk assets just before they retire the idea being it's going to be stable and not volatile but when bond prices crashed last year just as these people are about to retire they had a triple whammy didn't they with rising cost of inflation markets colliding and their pension funds which were meant to be in a slot a safe glide path falling off a cliff so it was bad news all around yeah absolutely and yeah and we've mentioned inflation so uh, we won't spend a huge amount of time on that but um financial resilience one of the uh, i suppose key elements of um, vulnerability is defined by the regulator Um, now these are interesting stats this is taken from the financial life survey back in 2022. Now, I believe they went out and surveyed people in February last year, and this was published in about June or July last year. So we're probably looking today at figures worse than this. They're saying one in four UK adults are in financial difficulty or could be if they suffered a financial shock. Certainly, you know, what's been happening over the last 12 months could be um, seen as that. And 4.2 million people missed bills or loan payments in the last three of, sorry, at the last three of the last six months. So again, you know, missing three payments in, in, in six months is probably a little, a little bit higher now. And this could be utility bills, mortgages, um, you know, paying for your car, things like that. So again, um, things that we need to be aware of when we're talking to clients, are they now in a vulnerable situation because of what's been happening? And when we talk about vulnerability, obviously, we need to make sure there's a vulnerable client policy in place, but that also links in with consumer duty. Now, I know this is going to be something we cover in more detail in session three, but um, if you've read the consumer duty paper, vulnerability is mentioned about 110 times in that. So again, it's a very, um, it's, a, it's, it's a thing that's very high on the regulator's agenda, but ultimately all kind of pivots on those four outcomes, products and services, price and value, consumer understanding and consumer support, and ensuring that we're avoiding causing foreseeable harm to our customers. So when we're talking about foreseeable harm, you know, it could be, are we putting them in in a product that they don't necessarily understand? Could it be that it's not, it's it's a product they can't fully utilize? You know, if it's got online functions and they don't have access to broadband, you know, are we, creating issues there. So they're telling us that firms need to create that proactive steps within that. And again, it's looking at those behavioral biases. So, you know, they they mention inertia here. So it could be, well, my product's always done pretty well over the last couple of years, so I'm sure it's going to continue to do so in the future. Or they're concerned about moving because um, they're used to what they've got. But 
you know, I suppose from an advisor's perspective, it's always about asking those difficult questions and ensuring that the client fully understands that by doing nothing could actually be a risk in itself. So there could be other options that give a better outcome for the client. So as um, Richard mentioned, you know, 2022, you know, you could say, was it a black swan event? You know, something that came out of, of nowhere because of various things that happened over the last year or so. And as Richard said, the, the, the typical 60-40 portfolio split has dropped by about 9%. So for a lot of clients, for, for well, for many clients, it could be the first year that they've ended with a negative rather than a positive. As Richard was saying, you know, we've had fairly good performance over the last few years for the reasons that he, he gave. And so... I suppose, you know, when we're talking about 2022, the first part of, of that year was the worst for global markets since the great decade. So it goes to show what a, you know, uh, a year 2022 was. And, you know, if we break it down even further, what was the mix? Well, this is over a five-year period. And this kind of shows that whilst, you know, people could have done fairly well on it, if we break it down into that 60-40 split, You've got the equity portion doing most of the heavy lifting and the bond elements haven't really been doing a huge amount um, to sort of benefit the client. But what they have been doing is still having an element of volatility there as well. So um, with this slide, we can see Richard spoke about the um, positive and negative correlation. And I think for a lot of people, they've got used to being in a market where we've had that negative correlation. We can see from this slide from, you know, early, early 2000s up to 2021, negative correlation. So as Richard was saying earlier on, if equities went down, bonds were there to kind of take the strain, so to speak. But if we go all the way back to 1931 and, you know, we had the Great Depression, a couple of world wars, etc., there's been longer periods where it's been that positive correlation. So they're both moving down or up at the same time. So going forward, what's it going to look like? Well, you know, we don't actually know at this point in time. Um, but I think this explains it a little bit, or in pictorial version, it kind of explains it a little bit more where the hard work's been going. So again, we can see the equities working a lot harder than the bonds. But again, it's... If we're looking at 2022, they've both gone down. So for somebody who's taking an income in retirement, there's a lot of pressure on that portfolio to perform to enable us to keep that sustainable income that they want and also, you know, afford them the other things that they want to do um, in retirement as well. So if we're looking at a review, I suppose we need to look at the risks that the clients currently taking, the risks that the clients want to take in the future, and I suppose also how they feel emotionally. So again, it's those um, behavioral biases as well. So when we go from uh, accumulation to deaccumulation, the risks change. And you see some advisory firms don't necessarily have a different investment strategy for decumulation to accumulation. It's just a just a continuation of the same. But we need to make sure that we are covering these additional risks now they're in 
the deaccumulation stage of their life. So longevity risk, how long are they going to live? Making sure we understand that. Um, one in five of us, according to, I think, the ONS say they're going to live to be at least 100. They've also said that the first person to live to 150 has already been born. So somewhere in the world, the first person to 150 is, is alive now. I spoke about market and sequencing risks, so pound cost ravaging, inflation, changing circumstances. So again, that's always something that, you know, default, we always ask what their objectives are. Perhaps they've met as an objective, they've got different objectives now. Perhaps as they're getting older or old, they're not necessarily wanting to take two holidays a year. Maybe it's one holiday a year. That emotional risk to volatility as well. You know, they, they say you feel uh, a loss two and a half times more than you feel again. So if again, if they're getting older, how are they processing that emotional risk? And again, that cognitive risk, if you're getting older, ensuring we have lasting powers of attorney in place. Are they at a point where they've been in drawdown for maybe a number of years? And you know, this can be seen as quite a complex area of advice. Perhaps it's time to start to de-risk so they don't have that emotional risk or have to make um, quite difficult decisions if they are now starting to lose their cognitive ability. I think that's a really good point because someone could have been recommended drawdown when they were, let's say, 70, 10 years ago. And, and your cognitive ability when you're 80 compared to 70 is radically different, as anyone that's yes. got kind of older parents or grandparents will know. So coming back to vulnerable client policies, you know, is, is it really right? Is it meeting your consumer duty requirements to leave somebody you know, in that kind of environment or is it not? And longevity is an interesting one. We're going to do a session um, later in the year about longevity. But you're right, the first person that's lived to 150 has been born. But there's, there's competing things going on because the, the cohort that I'm in, you're, kind of, you're post-baby boomer generation. Actually, life expectancy is going down for us at the moment because all those baby boomers came through, you know, rationing when they couldn't get junk food it was just kind of like raw sort of healthy food if you like but look at it nowadays they've gone through final salary pension schemes great health service all that kind of stuff and the next generation's lived off burger king and drinking and partying and all that kind of stuff so you've got to just don't apply the same thought process to everybody so longevity is an interesting one to look at and we'll do a bit more about that later in the year yeah, and I suppose, again, you know, certainly when you're talking about annuities, that brings in the whole concept of personalization as well. So medically underwriting, ensuring, you know, even if you've got somebody that goes into drawdown, ensuring that you understand their health, because that could have an impact on ultimately the advice that's given as well. Um, but I suppose when we're talking about the different journeys by way of accumulation and decumulation, I think this kind of works quite well. So with this, you've got two people invested £100,000 over a 30-year journey, different start dates, you know, maybe different portfolios, etc. And they averaged a 5% return per annum over that 30-year period. So we'll see portfolio B started off well and did really well, then it kind of tailed off towards the end. And with portfolio A, got off to a poor start. So markets were in a bit of a turmoil, but then it rallied and did all right at the end. But I suppose the takeaway from this is because it's in accumulation, they're not taking any money out. If you've got an average of 5% return over the same time period, it would end up at the same amount. So that's where we have that. But it is a very different conversation when you start to take money from the portfolio. So with this next slide, 
we can see the same two people, but now taking some money out. So initially £4,000 per annum, so 4% from the initial one. So because Portfolio A got off to a poor start, pound cost ravaging, it never actually recovered. So we see here that it actually, they actually run out of money in year 26 and a half, year 27, which may be all right, but actually if they're 65 and in good health, there's a very good chance they might live, live longer still. But Portfolio B, because they got off to a good start, actually they did very well out of it. And after 30 years, the portfolio is still worth more uh, than they started with. I suppose the only thing that we, we have with this, we don't have crystal balls. We don't know if someone's getting off to a good or bad start when they go into retirement. I suppose, you know, tail end of last year, you could take a pretty good guess as to where it was, but we don't know if they do get off to a poor start, how long that downturn will continue. And if they continue to do the same thing year after year, is that going to lead to a poor outcome? So again, it's just really understanding where the client is, what they need to do. And I suppose maybe look at things slightly differently to see if we can alter that outcome for portfolio A. Which kind of leads us on to the role of guarantees, the role of annuities. And where do rates need to be? As Richard was saying, you know, they've been down in the doldrums for, for a number of years now. Um, I mean, I'd always say an annuity is more than just the rate. We need to look at it in its entirety. What else can it offer? Obviously, for a lot of people, uh, rate is a key driver. But there's lots of other things that um, will drive it forward as well. So what we're looking at with this slide is our average rates over a six-month period from August last year to January this year. So it's averages, we're not just selecting the best rates to make it look, you know, sort of super sexy. This is very much, you know, trying to give you a good broad understanding on where rates are. So for 65 year olds, we've got somebody who's healthy life, so it's postcode only. So this is based on the minimum amount of underwriting that we do. And our average rate 6.25. Pretty good, I would say. At 70, it's 6.99 and 8.56 for somebody aged 75. So as they get older, you know, you're building up those mortality credits and you can get a better rate of return. The one in the middle is um, COPD, so it's a uh, lung disease, so slightly more serious, and we can see we can get in better rates. And then the one in the kind of minty green is somebody who's got Parkinson's. And, you know, at 75, we're seeing, you know, two of those are. Um, double digits. So, you know, almost back to guaranteed annuity rates there. Um, so very, very different when we're looking at um, annuity rates now compared to last year. I think on average rates are up about 45%. But if we think back to when we're saying, oh, you know, the average portfolio has dropped by just under 9%. So a client could be thinking, well, you're talking to me about annuity, but this means taking money from the portfolio and buying this guaranteed income. Surely I'm just locking in my loss, aren't I, at this point? Well, because rates have increased so much, it's not necessarily the case. So as we can see here, someone in good health in October 2019, to buy £5,000 worth of income would have cost almost £107,500. In February this year, that amount has dropped to 73500 so a reduction of 32% less capital is required to buy that same level of income. 
So it's still better to buy the income now, even though the portfolio has dropped on average by about 9%. And again, you know, the more information we have around health and lifestyle means the greater savings still as well. So I think it's really, really important at point of retirement and every review to ask those questions around health and lifestyle, fill out the retirement health form, et cetera. Because as we can see from here, it can make quite a big difference. So postcode only, 6443, someone with diabetes, 6757. And, you know, with diabetes, I think there's almost, I think if I remember rightly, about 5 million people with diabetes and about 850,000 people with type 2 diabetes who have yet to be diagnosed. So again, it, it is quite a big area of concern, but it's, you know, 300 odd pounds difference per year just asking those additional questions. You know, if the person with diabetes lives 20 years, that's another £6,000 worth of income that they could have just by collecting that information around their health and lifestyle. So I know we touched on annuity death benefits at the beginning, but I think it's worth going through these again, just to kind of highlight how they can work. And again, it's, it's, it's ensuring that the annuity is shaped to benefit the client and what they want to achieve in retirement. So we have this person, age 65, £50,000 in their fund after taking tax-free cash. A little bit of underwriting, they're an ex-smoker, type 2 diabetes, etc. Um, now, with guarantees, with death benefits, etc., there is a cost involved. So if they wanted to take maximum income, we can see here 3688. 100% value protection, so it could be that he's single, but he has children he wants to potentially leave the money to, um, about £350 a year, which in the scheme of things isn't necessarily a huge amount of money because, after all, um, he's guaranteed to get at least that £50,000 back. If he did have a spouse and wanted a guarantee as well, it goes down a little bit more to 3104 and then a 30-year guarantee it's 2626. But with that 30 year guarantee, I think he gets about 74, 75,000 pounds back from his initial 50,000 pounds. So again, it depends on what the client wants to achieve as to how you would build that. You can have value protection with spouses paid out on second death. So there's lots of variables that you can adapt to make sure it fits the client's objectives. But if we're looking, really important point there is, you're right about the personalization card. Sorry, sorry, butting in. That's but okay. The important point is not just to look at those kind of headline numbers you've got there. It's looking at the overall net benefit for the client. It's kind of taking what that can do and then putting it into their financial plan or their cash flow forecast and seeing what it looks like along with everything else. Uh, so too many people often just look at the headline numbers and say yeah or no. You've got to look at the overall net benefit and see what it's going to do. Yeah, because we have we have started to get more quotes inquiries come through with value protection the guarantee period mostly we're still getting five or ten years i think a lot of people have forgotten that we can actually go beyond that now so again it's all about tailoring that advice to fit the client you know so if wealth transfer is important to them and they have, you know, maybe other sources of income, then perhaps you can build it into that annuity. So, you know, the next time you send in a quote, it's certainly worth when you speak to your business development manager at Just, 
have a look at those different death, death benefits to see how it affects that, that headline rate. So this is how value protection works. I think, as I mentioned earlier on, it's, it's a much forgotten about one. We've been offering um, value protection for many, many years, certainly since prior to um, pension freedoms. And I think, was it back in 2011, I think um, taxation on death benefits were up to 55%, I think, back then. And that, that kind of killed it off. But um, again, if we've got this £50,000 client, you've got the death after six months. So they've had around about £1,700 worth of income. But that £48,334 would be returned to his beneficiaries. And again, because he's under the age of 75, is free of any tax liability. So they got the 50000 back. So they've not lost anything as financially, uh, you might say. Death after five years, again, they're still aged under 75. So that 33345 is is um, tax-free. After 10 years, he's now aged over 75, so the 16690 would be subject to the receiving beneficiary's marginal rate of tax. And death after 16 years, he's had more money than he, out than he put in, so there's nothing to be paid. But obviously, if he continues to live, then the annuity will continue to pay, be paid out for as long as he lives, so this wouldn't get any money back. But also with value protection, because the annuity rates have gone up so much over the last year, it actually costs less money than it did maybe a few years ago. I think when I was presenting on value protection maybe two, three years ago, that break-even point was around about 21, 22 years. So because there's a greater chance of this client living 16 years or beyond, it's actually cheaper. But again, with any insurance product, it's there to sort of hopefully mitigate the risk if he's concerned about dying early and not getting the whole £50,000 um, back by way of either income or a lump sum. Just going back to guarantee periods, if, if we can, Carl, Bertrand's asked, if the annuity continues to pay to the estate for 30 years, doesn't this create an administration issue for the executives of the estate? Uh, well, it needs to be a beneficiary, um, defined beneficiary, um, who it gets paid to. Um, or pay, you know, it could be multiple people. But, um, yeah, I suppose it, it, it could be an issue. But... Again, it really does depend on what the client wants the money to use for. You know, are they thinking, well, actually, my child, um, if they got a lump sum, they would just blow it all. But I want them to have that ongoing income because I feel it would be more useful to them. Um, it takes the pressure off on a monthly basis. So, again, it, it is um, very much really looking at the client and what they want to happen um, once, once they've passed. Thank you. And we had a question earlier on about are there any other resources to learn about uh, annuities? Oh, yes, there are. <laughs> there, there, there's stuff all there. And um, we'll, we'll pop the link to our website with links to all these on the Just website um, towards the end. Um, so you can feast your eyes and, uh, and listen and watch those to your heart's content. Um, but I like this slide. You've got it. It's kind of best of both worlds, question mark. Yeah, and I think this is it. I think since pension freedom, it's been quite binary. You know, you're either a drawdown client um, or a drawdown client um, or, you know, you, you're an annuity client. So if you've only got a certain amount of money, you're an annuity client. If you've got this, it, it, it's drawdown. But actually what we've seen and the work that we've done, and we'll see more of this as we go through um, the second one and certainly the third one as well. Actually, the best of both worlds 
can work really well. And certainly if we reflect back on those three questions about getting that high level of income, the sustainability, and you know death benefits etc the best of both worlds can work so when we're talking about at what stage is the risk of running out of money too high so if we're looking at cash flow modeling you know where do we put inflation now certainly if we're stress testing it do we go up to 15 or 20 percent who knows if we're talking about taking lump sums out of the pension to use on on, on you know maybe grandchildren's uh, university fees, something like that. How does that affect the income? So are we getting to a point where actually we've looked at sustainability, longevity, and the risk of running out of money doesn't get us to where we want to be? You know, can we take some of that money and underpin that risk by introducing that, that guaranteed income? And I think the slide earlier on when we was talking about buying 5,000 pounds worth of income, it shows that it's still good value. Because when we're talking about how much capital is needed to do that, from a client's perspective, ideally as little as possible. So again, looking at underwriting, personalization is absolutely critical. And again, if they've got a spouse, ensuring that we underwrite the spouse as well, because if they have any health conditions, then again, you know, we can potentially get a higher rate of return. Looking at behavioral biases, we, we, we've touched on that, you know, inertia, recent history bias, you know, things have worked out in the end. So I'll just carry on doing what we're doing and hope for the same result. But I think as we've seen with the slides, we've had 10 years of relatively low inflation, low bank base rates, and we're getting back to where we were prior to that banking crisis. And again, I suppose it's an ongoing um, assurance from you know, you, the power planners and advisors, making sure that we can support the client in achieving those balances. So annual reviews, I think, are really, really critical at this point in time, just to make sure that we are aware of what they're needing and what we can do to assist them in that as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that what we're looking at there with the best of both worlds is this kind of hybrid or blended solution, which which people are starting to look at more. And we're going to, mm. funnily enough, talk about that next week. Um, and we're going to look at how you can model those in, in sort of forecasting software as well to see what it looks like for the client. You mentioned earlier on about um, vulnerable clients quite a bit. Um, just have their vulnerable client awards. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about those? Because I know they've just launched and we'll pop a link to them in the chat room. Yeah, absolutely. This is I think it's the third year we've been running them. and. Um, so from that perspective, if you, you can nominate yourself um, if you wish or if you have a colleague or you feel that the firm as a whole has done some, you know, sterling work when it comes to vulnerability, then certainly have a look at that. Um, I think we've got about four different um, categories on that. We've got up close and personal. So recognizing excellent support given to a client who has found themselves in vulnerable circumstances. So again, if you've dealt with a case, um, where you've had really good outcomes from a client that's been been in vulnerable circumstances do recommend yourself you know that that's absolutely fine data and technology so have your firms incorporated or change processes and procedures um, to capture more information around vulnerable clients and how you've been able to use that data to produce better outcomes for clients in vulnerable circumstances the vulnerable um, well, sorry, the, the vulnerable customer champion, recognizing individuals who've gone the extra mile. 
Um, so again, if you have a colleague, um, rec you know, recommend them. And finally, we've got company of the year. So recognizes the outstanding progress within an individual firm. Um, that's open to small, medium or large firms. So if you feel you get any of those um, categories, then please to do it. I think um, they are open until the end of June. So 30th of June. Um, so do go on to the link and have a look and fill out the form. So um, it would be great to see um, some of you being recognised for the work. Because I know with power plans and work that I've done with power plans in the past, you, know, you do a lot of critical work around vulnerability and highlighting vulnerability. And I know a lot of you have been involved in setting up your firm's vulnerable client policies as well. So you know, if there's recognition that needs to be rewarded, please do put yourselves forward. If you're sitting there thinking, what's a vulnerable client policy? Just have got some really good stuff on their website that can help you sort all that out. So um, go and have a look at that one. Um, so the poll we had running, and I just spotted my typo in there. Never mind. So are you more likely to consider an annuity now? 72% yes, 8% uh, no, and 20% said I'm going to tune in next week to learn more, uh, which is the right answer, of course. Don't forget you book that um, by clicking the green button down the bottom there. And we'll pop a link in the chat room now, which will take you off to the event page on our website where you can watch a replay of the video. You can get links to all sorts of stuff on the Just website. You can download copies of both slide decks and you can also get one hour CPD um, from Just. So there'll be a link inside there as well. So go off and do that. Uh, once you've finished watching. Don't forget, you can book uh, the big night out and the big night in uh, for September on the website as well. And if you were coming to the assembly in the middle of next week, it's been postponed and we'll be emailing you about that very soon. You can keep the conversation going on the big tent, which is always very active. Lots of friendly power planners happy to answer any questions you've got. Um, and we'll be back again next week for part two of this. So it's just for me to say thank you very much to Just for supporting the power planners assembly and to Carl for sharing your expertise and knowledge. And we'll see you all again very soon. Goodbye. Have a good afternoon.